Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. We've been in a series called Piercing the Veil. We've been going through a lot of the parables. Uh, Today we're talking about the parable of the talents. And when we've come to each of these parables, we've been asking the question, what do these parables reveal to us about the mysteries of Jesus and the mysteries of the kingdom? The the kingdom being uh, the the vision of heaven on earth, a place of peace and goodness, comfort, compassion, empathy. And so embracing the way of Jesus in our everyday life and looking at these parables to ask that question, what does it mean for us to embrace the mysteries? of Jesus. And so as we look at the parable of the talents today, I want us to focus in on this concept. Every day we choose to define the circumstances and position of our lives as a gift or a curse. So the circumstances and position of our lives every day we have the opportunity to choose whether we receive those things as a gift or or a curse. And as we look at the parable of the talents today, we'll see three individuals who are making that choice in the midst of their circumstance. Some have been given a lot, some have been given a little, and each of them is making this choice to define the position and circumstance of their life as either a gift or a curse. And a lot of times we say, okay, well, obviously the people who have good circumstances, quote unquote, define their lives well, and they define their lives as a gift, and rich people see their life as a gift, and privileged people see their life as a gift, and, and uh, you know, if, if you're at the top, you see your life as a gift, and then, you know, if people are poor or, or lonely, they see their life as a curse. And I think that is a lie that we love to believe because it gives us excuses. The truth is there are content rich people with a lot of money and there are miserable rich people with a lot of money. There are wonderfully content poor people and there are miserable poor people. There are content Americans and miserable Americans. There are people who live in third world countries who see every day as a gift. And so we have the opportunity every day to choose whether our circumstances and position are a gift or a curse. Let me pause here and say that if you are familiar with the Enneagram, I am an Enneagram 8, which the word that describes the Enneagram 8 is challenger. So today, as I speak, I'm going to try to temper my challenger-ness and come at this with compassion and empathy, but if I get a little bit fiery as I talk about this idea of choosing how we see our circumstances, know that at the core of who I am, I want to have compassion for each person in this room, deeply understanding where we are. So last week, Nicole, when she was up here, she asked us this question, what does the kingdom mean to you and what is it, what is it worth? How do you value the kingdom? And as I was sitting there thinking, I thought to myself, you know what, I really value the ways of the kingdom of heaven on earth, the ways of heaven on earth. I value the idea of there being peace around me and being a person of peace. I really value embracing the fruit of the Spirit, of love and joy. 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I value all of those things. I want those things to be part of my life, and I want to dispense those things into the environments I find myself in all the time. And as I was sitting there thinking, I thought to myself, you know what, I really value those things. But the disconnect for me is my mindfulness of those things in the moment. My ability to say, all right, somewhere in my mind there is an archive of data, and in my heart there is a sense of desire to be a person who is a person of peace and love and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, a person who embodies the characteristics of Jesus. Somewhere in the back of my mind, and even if I were to sit and think, who do I want to be, those are the things that I would choose to come forward. But there seems to be this disconnect between the, the space I find myself thinking from 90% of the time and that mindfulness time of the 10% of the time where I'm consciously aware of what I want to be true of my life and dispensing into the world around me. And I think the same thing is true when it comes to this. Like, as we talk through this parable, I'll say, I want to be a person who leverages the gifts that I've been given to make the world look more like the kingdom of heaven. But then I'll go out and I'll live the rest of my life in a way that is disconnected from that choice that I've made. And so part of everything that we talk about from Sunday to Sunday, and the thing that I've brought back up every time I've been on this stage since January, and you know where I'm going with this, is what? Brar, right? So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, quick rundown. An a, a, a ridiculous acronym, B-R-A-R, BRAR. So it's this idea of like when we get into a moment, when we get into a circumstance, how am I going to respond? Okay, first I'm going to step into it and I'm going to breathe. I'm just going to take a breath. And in that breath, it's going to give me a moment to shift from that 10% or that 90% of where my mind spends its time in the moment reactionary. And it's going to help me move into this place of who I say I want to be and what I know is true about who I am. And then I'm going to remember. So breathe, remember, B-R, breathe, remember. Remember what God says. Remember what God says about who I am, what he says about what he wants for the earth, what he says about what he wants for me. And then I'm going to access, I'm going to access that truth, I'm going to access the fruit of the Spirit, and then I'm going to reveal it into the world around me. And the reason I keep talking about this is because I know how hard this is for me. There is a deep disconnect between what I say I want and what I live every day. And I honestly have been thinking about it since Nicole asked us this question. Obviously, I've been thinking about it for the last eight months. And I don't know how to help us mesh these two pieces of our, of our minds. Like, honestly, I had a long conversation with my friend yesterday about this. And we, like, just mulled over it for a while. And it's like, yeah, there seems to be this thing where it's like, I have decades of life experience. I have decades of the accumulation of knowledge. I have decades of being in church and listening to probably tens of thousands of sermons at this point. And how do I make a connection between all these things that are stored up in my mind and stored up in my heart and what I live in every day? And so that is one of my prayers. And if you have any advice, totally open to hearing it. But as we read this parable, let's also keep that in mind. We'll probably sit here and nod our heads, yes, I agree with this, yes, this is nice, yes, I want this, but how do we build the bridges? So there'll be three moments today where I want to ask us to stop and pause and reflect, and a lot of that pausing and stopping and reflecting is an attempt to help us make 
make practical application of the things that we're talking about today. So Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Jesus tells us the parable of the talents. He says this, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, I, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering seed where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw out that worthless servant, uh, throw, that, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's what we're talking about today. Let's pause <laughs> and pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for uh, this time that we get to spend together. Thank you for each person who's in this room. Thank you for the endless abundance that is currently present in this space represented by each life who is here. Thank you for that. Thank you that you are with us. Lead us today as we consider these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so these three moments of reflection, they're going to start at the beginning. This is the pretest. Uh, if you have a piece of paper, feel free, feel free to write on the piece of paper. If not, pull out a device and open up a new note. Resist the temptation to look at notifications throughout the morning as they pour in. Um, and the first thing that I'm going to ask you to do is make a list of the things that you've been entrusted with. So as we talk about talents, we're not talking about like just getting on stage and singing, although that can be a talent for sure. And the use of the word talents here isn't even the way we use the word now. And what we're going to do today is define this idea of talents as two of the things that we already put on the screen, circumstance and position, but also gifts. So what's your circumstance? What's your position? What are your gifts? We're just going to take two minutes right here for you to take us to 120 seconds and write down your position, your circumstances, and your gifts. And we're just going to make a list of that. Go ahead. Action.
about 30 more seconds. All right, we're going to return to this list two more times, so keep it handy. And now we're just going to kind of hop through a verse at a time, uh, this passage, or a couple verses at a time, and take a look at some of the ideas that I think can inform how we move into this place of choosing to find the circumstances and position of our lives as a gift each day. So we'll go back to verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Most of our morning this morning will be, ta uh, be talking about these three people who have received the master's, uh, the master's finances. But we need to start, I think, by beginning to look at the master. So the master, obviously, in this scenario, representing God, the Father, who has entrusted people with things. So this entire parable is predicated on the generosity of God. It's all predicated on this idea that God owns the mass of everything. You take everything, God owns the mass of everything, and he has chosen to entrust it to you and me and to everyone else on the planet who has come before us, who is living today, and who will live in the future. Now, God doesn't have to do that. But the generosity of God has invited us into a co-laboring relationship with him, and God entrusts things to us. And I think in the same way, on a daily basis, we are called to embody the generosity of God in our lives. So the very beginning, we say, all right, how do we embody the concept of generosity? Are we people who are open-handed? Are we people who are free and quick to give? Are we people who are aware of the needs that exist around us? Are we people who are willing to step into meeting those needs? Because I think what we see really quickly in life is that a grateful spirit leads us toward generosity. Generosity leads to a greater return. And it's this idea of like, how can I be in the world in the midst of my daily life being a person who is constantly giving myself to others? who is constantly saying, yes, I am called to help meet this need and responding to it. How are we moving from a place of hoarding to living a life that's open-handed? How are we moving from saying what's mine is mine and it cannot be yours to saying we are in this together and this is a process? How do we move away from hoarding to a place of saying we're in this together? God's mode of operation is abundant generosity. And so what do we see happening in this parable with these three people? One person's been given ten, one person, or five, one person's given, been given two, one person's get, been given one. Each of them makes a different choice about how they see God's generosity. Some see God's generosity as a wonderful opportunity. Others see it as a heavy weight. Do we have that on the screen? Some see God's generosity as a wonderful opportunity. Others see it as a heavy weight. That's also true. There you go. And so how are we people who position ourselves in life recognizing that God has invited us into a co-laboring relationship in his desire to see earth look more like the realities of heaven and that's not a wait for us. That is an opportunity to practice gratitude. It's not a heavy weight. Now, there is responsibility that comes with that. But responsibility is not equated with heaviness. 
We can find joy in the midst of responsibility. We can find fulfillment in the, res in the midst of responsibility. And so how do we position ourselves to see God's generosity not as a heavy weight, but as a beautiful opportunity? And so we move into the next verse. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And each of us has a different story. Each of us has a different starting place. Each of us has different opportunities. But comparison is a thief. Every moment that we spend comparing is a moment we don't give to building. Every moment that we spend comparing, screen, there you go. Every moment that we give to comparison is a moment we don't give to building. And so if I'm sitting, wasting my time saying that person has five and I only have one, it, we have missed out on the moment and the opportunity to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do with the one? And so comparison robs us of the joy of participating in God's generosity because we don't see God's generosity with whatever he's given to us, whatever we wrote down on that list just a moment ago. We don't see those things as a beautiful gift. We see those things as a burden, and we begin comparing. And in that comparison, we miss out on seizing the opportunities that God has given us. And abundance can be a wonderful thing if it's positioned properly in our lives. So in the kingdom, what does abundance look like? A kingdom understanding of abundance leads us to live in balance, not decadence. If you're sitting in this room today, I can promise you, in comparison with the 7.7 billion people living on the earth, you are a person who has access to abundance. Each one of us in this room today is living in the midst of abundance. You may say, I have credit card debt. You might have, say, I have student loan debt. You may say that I don't have enough money to pay rent this month. And all of those things are real, and all of those things are true, and I know how heavy of a weight those things can feel. But we as people living here in this country at this time have more access to abundance than anyone has ever had access to abundance before in the, in the history of humanity. And we have the opportunity to leverage that abundance in a way that demonstrates balance and not decadence. So what does what does receiving uh, abundance with a sense of balance look like? It means that we understand that we have an opportunity with our abundance to serve the world around us. We also have the opportunity with that abundance to enjoy the things of life. We also, in that abundance, find ourselves to be productive people or having the opportunity to be productive people. And all of those things are wonderful opportunities. So how do I be a person of balance who finds joy in giving money away through generosity and finds joy in using that money to go to the beach for the weekend and not feeling guilty about it and finds joy in the midst of the productive life that allows me to access that abundance through work every day. And so how do I live in a state of abundance in a way that reflects the kingdom? It's a way that lives with a spirit of gratitude that says, thanks for the money to be able to go to the beach for the weekend. Thanks for the money for me to be able to meet the need of someone who has less than I do. Thanks for the opportunity to work, to be part of this process that allows me to live in abundance. 
and to not use our abundance to, uh, to do ill, but use our abundance to leverage, uh, to leverage that abundance in the direction of the kingdom. And so the next verse, then he went on his journey. Very short ver- verse, but I think it reveals to us a lot. It reveals to us this idea of trust. Like, think about the trust that's embodied in that sentence right there. That God has access to all things. He has entrusted those things to us and has invited us into the process of co-laboring with him. And then he went on a journey. He didn't stay in command. He didn't stay and micromanage. God trusts us. He doesn't micromanage. This is why mindfulness is so important. God has entrusted us with everything. And so there is a necessity for us to take the things that we know and the things that we learn and the things that we have wisdom about and to meld them, to mesh them, to bridge the gap between that archive of information in our head and the 90% of our day where we aren't thinking about the archive of information and experiences that are in the back of our mind because God has entrusted us with something great. The man who has received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold, he gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So out of these three, the guy who had five bags, the guy who had two bags, the guy who had one bag and went and buried it in the ground, out of these three, which is the easiest to do? Huh? bury it. (laughs) Yes. The easiest thing to do is to bury it. The easiest thing to do is to do nothing at all. The easiest thing to do is to go on autopilot. And let me suggest that that third way of operating is the way that most of us view faith. That third way of operating is the way most of us view what it means to be in a relationship with God. We view it as a set of magic formulas that allow us to turn off our contribution in the midst of the process and say things like, God is in control. God is in control. But that doesn't mean that we bury our talents in the ground. God being in control means that it calls us to step into co-laboring with him. Christianity is not American Idol for life. It's not winning a competition that thrusts us to the front of the pack. Christianity is not about a winning lottery ticket that makes everything okay. Christianity is an invitation to a journey to co-labor with God as he entrusts us with things and calls us to do hard work and manifesting the realities of heaven on earth. Do you think it is easy to end global hunger? Is it easy? No. Is it easy to end poverty on the face of the earth? These are not hard questions. (laughs) Is it easy to take care of the orphans and widows? The work of the kingdom is not easy, and Christianity is not a set of magic formulas or spells. It's not a Harry Potter magic wand that allows us to lift heavy things without exerting energy. It's not. 
It is hard work and in many ways calls us to far more difficult things than we would have to be called to if we weren't part of this thing called following Jesus. I, you have probably all heard me talk about or put on my Instagram stories pictures of uh, my garden uh, in front of our house. Here's some pictures. Ready? So this is a uh, cloudless sulfur caterpillar on a cassia plant. So I've talked about this before. Oh, thank you. Well, that's why I'm showing these pictures to impress you. So please do be impressed. Oh, wait, wait, no, go back. I have things to talk about. They're really digging this. Uh, so, so every butterfly can only lay its eggs on one plant. The caterpillars of every butterfly can only eat the leaves of one plant. That's why you see maybe there was a mural that was painted downtown uh, several months ago of monarch butterflies with milkweed. So monarch butterfly caterpillars can only eat milkweed leaves. Cloudless sulfur butterfly caterpillars can only eat those round leaves right there on the cassia plant. Next. This is a black swallowtail, it's on fennel. Next. This is a pipe vine swallowtail caterpillar on a Dutchman's pipe vine. And last, this is some sort of moth that looks cool and I don't know what it is. <laughs> but it's sucking the nectar from those flowers, which is a sweet almond plant, which smell awesome. Um, and, and I will say to you, so the way I got into this, and you may have heard me talk about this before, I was growing some tomatoes and some basil, and I got one milkweed plant because I heard about this whole like monarch milkweed thing. And within a couple weeks, the, the, every single leaf on this single plant that I had uh, was gone because there was like a dozen monarch caterpillar caterpillars on this plant. And they had eaten every leaf on it. And by the time a monarch caterpillar gets full size, it's about the size of my index finger, and it eats a leaf an hour. And the problem with this is that obviously they eat the leaves, so I, I couldn't just watch these caterpillars starve on the bottom of the pot, right? So I went out, has anybody, is anybody in this game with me already? Like you've done this before? All right, so then you go buy more milkweed plants. Well, more milkweed plants means then what? More eggs, right? More leaves for the monarch butter, butterflies to lay their eggs on. So it's this never-ending cycle. The more plants you buy, the more caterpillars you have, the more caterpillars ha you have, the more plants you have to buy because the more they're eating. And it just becomes this endless cycle. So I've gone from one potted milkweed plant to I probably have like 60 milkweed plants now and the Dutchman's pipe vine and the cassia plant. And there's just like this forest of like butterfly plants. And if you go out in my front yard at like 8.30 in the morning, it is fascinating. So feel free to stop by sometime if you want to. If you're, if you're out walking in the front yard, I, it'll be totally fine. I'll come out and I'll show you some things and, you know, it'll be fun. Maybe while you're there, a, a butterfly will come out of a cocoon and we'll look at it and wonder together. Um, all that to say, it's not easy. All of that was to say it's not easy. And it's also to say this, the amount of fruit is directly proportional to the amount of diligence. The amount of fruit is directly proportional to the amount of diligence. You and I have the luxury of not having to farm. Most of us are not farmers. But if you say this to a farmer, they'll probably say, you're absolutely right. If you've ever tried to grow a single tomato plant, anybody ever tried that? Who, who has not tried to grow a single tomato plant? Okay, go out and buy a tomato plant this afternoon you'll very quickly discover that the amount of fruit is directly proportional to the amount of diligence. In fact, without diligence, there's a chance that you will not get a single piece of fruit because the plant will not make it to its mature years where it can even bear fruit. 
And that's what we see in this parable, is that there was one guy who saw the blessing of God as a curse, and he went and he dug a hole and he buried his money in the ground and he covered it back up, and that was the easiest, most basic thing he could do. And then we saw these other two people who went to work with what they had. They accepted the call to go to work. And as a result of their willingness to go to work, they received a return. I'm going to pause, and I'm going to ask this question, what's missing from the story? And there's probably a lot of things we could come up with, so I won't make you answer that out loud. What I think is missing from the story is the person who was given three bags of gold who went out and tried and lost all of them. And I think this missing piece of this parable is actually the reason most of us end up doing nothing about a lot of things in our lives. is because we're immobilized by the fear of messing up. And, and <laughs> I have a lot to say about that, but I'll just encourage you with this. The only way we become fruitful in life is to accept failure as an inevitable and welcome part of the process. No one who has ever accomplished anything has done it without days of failure. And it's the process, like, I ha have in my life at times thought, I cannot mess up, it is not allowed. And we, we are almost in certain ways bred to see failure as sinful. Failure is not sin. Not Things not coming out the way you hope they will come out is not bad. It may disrupt our lives. It may be difficult. We may not like it. It may be sorrowful, but it is not sinful. And we have to be people who are willing to come to a place where we accept failure as an inevitable part of the process of moving toward the things that we have been called to move toward forward in. And I can't point to a past piece of this passage that says to us that God will be compassionate, but I can point to a lot of other passages that say God will be compassionate in the midst of our process. Limitations 2, 23 through 20, uh, 22, limitations 3, 22 to 23, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The reason God's mercy is new every morning is because he expects that life will not always go the way we expect it to go. And so when we wake up in the morning having had a difficult day yesterday because things didn't go the way we wanted them to go, we didn't sin. We're not out of favor. We're just in the process. The process of learning, the process of discovering, the process of growing. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And this, I think, is a perfect picture of what it looks like for us to embrace God's compassion for us when we fail. Take a look at this video, two minutes. We all have our own plan, we all have our own agenda. When things don't go the way we think they're gonna go, that guy trained and trained and trained his entire life for that moment, and then his stinking body screwed him over, and he couldn't do anything about it. And there was his dad to run on and swat away everybody else who had an opinion about it and swat away everybody else had to, who had an agenda and wanted to do this or wanted to do that or wanted to get him there, here or there. 
And his dad was there with him in the midst of this moment of failure. And when we are able to move into those places where we trust the process and we allow failure to be part of it, we soon see that the one who loses everything after a season of mourning, and mourning is okay, is able to reapproach life with a lot of fight. That we can come back and we, ha we have more gumption and we have more opportunity and we have more ability to fight through the things that once we thought we could never fight through because we fought through it before. I have so much more to talk about, but I'm now 53 seconds over the 35 minutes that I have been given to talk. So, okay. All right, so real quick, another moment of reflection. I want you to pull out this. Uh, this list that you've just made. And I want to go one to five. One is I've buried this talent in the ground. Five is I've put it to work. One is I've buried the talent in the ground. Five is I've put it to work. Okay, you can remember that. And just go through and, uh, and list. Put a one next to it, a two, three, four, or five. One, right now this is buried in the ground. Five, this is being put to work. All right, finish it later if you haven't. I'm gonna make the most of these next five minutes here. All right, so the next piece of the passage is this piece of the passage where the, the worker with five comes and brings 10, the worker with two comes and brings four, and uh, the, the master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come share in your master's happiness. And, and it's just a simple message. We are ready for more when we've stewarded a little bit well. If you're waiting until X, if you're waiting until this or that happens, you will never arrive at the place you want to arrive at in order to start doing the thing you say you think it is you want to do. Does that make sense or was that too much in one sentence? We're ready for more when we've stewarded a little bit well. And here's the thing, no one is lucky. No one is lucky. You know why we say that person's lucky? Is because we think if they're lucky, then we don't have to look at their life as a symbol of what we could do. When we say that somebody is lucky, we say that in a way that says, they're lucky, therefore what they've done means nothing to me and what I can do in my life. And when we move into a place of recognizing that People who are lucky have just been working for the last 25 years to get to one moment that allowed them to leverage the last 25 years of work that they've put in. Then we look at the 25 years of work and, and we begin to say, oh, maybe we have to work at this thing that we say we want for 25 years before it comes to fruition. And it's this long process. We, we say that person has this and I don't have that. We say uh, they're just braver than I am. And guess what? everybody is scared everybody is scared you have prevented yourself from stepping into the thing that it is that you say you've been created and called to do because you're scared and you think you're unique in your scarediness you are not unique in your scarediness everybody is scared everybody is scared before we step into something that we've never done before and so scared is not an excuse. Scared is the current reality of everybody who's about to take the next step up the mountain that they've never climbed before. 
And so we are people who are called to get over our excuses and get to work so that we can steward what we have today. The greatest chance we have of living an abundant future is by doing what we can with what we have now. If you say, I want this, or I want that, or I've been called to this, or I've been called to that, we don't wait for those things. We say, five years from now, this is what I've been called to accomplish in the world around me. Therefore, four years from now, I need to be here. Three years from now, I need to be here. Two years from now, I need to be here. And if I'm going to be there in two years, this is what I have to do today. And we embrace what we have today so that we can step forward into the things that we say that the Lord has called us to in the future. So the next bit of passage is the man who received one bag of gold came and said, hey, I put this in the ground because I knew that you were a harsh master doing this and that. And, and, this, is, and, and this is really interesting here at the end of the passage. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, let me just say a little financial note, a little financial aside. Don't put your money with bankers in 2018 if you want to receive a return with interest. Because chances are the fees that you'll be charged month over month will far outweigh the 0.3% interest that you will get on that money in that savings account. We can talk about that later. But here's the bigger idea. And, and I love this. God has the ability to use you through and in conjunction with other people. If today your fear is immobilizing you, partner with someone else to leverage your gifts to help them in their mission and along the way learn from them. Not everyone has to lead a revolution. It's essentially important to have people in the world to lend their gifts to support a collective mission. And it's okay if you just say, you know what, I don't want to start a nonprofit. I don't want to go out and lead the charge to like feed every orphan in Kenya. Like you don't have to do that. But the people who are doing that need the gifts and talents that each of us in this room have to accomplish that collective mission. If the only option in your life today is immobilizing fear, entrust yourself to someone who can help you get you on your way. If you are immobilized by fear, partner with someone who has a mission that you resonate with, are called to, and care about, and use their gifts. And I think that's what we see here when the master says, just give all the money to the banker then, and use your gifts to collectively lift the boats, collectively do the work. And the last bit of passage is this idea of um, take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has ten bags. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Throw out the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I can't explain all of this. I, I, it would probably take a lot of messages, and we would never get to the end of the fullness of the meaning of this. But just put it in the, in the terms of work. Like if you're working, if you're working on something, if you have a job, you're expected to show up every day and do the job. And if you don't show up every day and do the job, then you're going to get fired. And I don't think that there's an end to God's grace, and I don't think that we get fired from the kingdom. But we are called to take responsibility for the things that we have been given. We are called to leverage those things. 
Don't let fear rob you of your life. Find purpose by putting your talents to work. Don't let fear rob you of your life. Find purpose by putting your talents to work. And this is the third time we'll return to this list, and this is where I'll end. I want us to go back and ask the question, what are we going to do about these things? How are we going to put these things to work? So maybe start with those ones. If you had any ones next to any of those talents, any of those things you've been entrusted with, I want you to go back and ask, what are you going to do about these to dig them up out of the ground and put them to work? This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.